Hi, and welcome to Community Pulse. Uh, my name is Jason Hand. And I'm Mary Thingval. And today we're talking to Andrew Hyde. So say hello, Andrew. Hello, everybody. So um, Andrew and I, we, we both sort of coexist in the Boulder startup area, uh, and our paths cross every once in a while, uh, although sometimes I feel like we are in the same time zones that's not mountain, uh, more often than not. Um, but uh, Andrew, why don't you tell you know our audience a little bit about you, a little about a little bit about the projects you're involved in, and uh, the types of community stuff that you're interested in. Sounds great. I think it's over. Let's see. 2007, I started a pro, pro, a program called Startup Weekend. Um, I was working at TechStars at the time, um, so as a first employee there, and kind of got right time, right place. Was able to grow quite a few communities and play a role in a lot of projects. So I work um, for another program I started called Startup Week now, which is more of a um, celebration of entrepreneurship, where Startup Weekend is more of a creation of entrepreneurship. Um, but started in Boulder, programs have been in over 160 countries now, um, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, the world is very, very connected. Um, and so I've been able to play around with a lot of aspects of community. I'm not sure if I know anything more than I used to, um, but I've definitely seen a lot more. Cool. Very cool. So you do a lot of work on local community events. You just mentioned Startup Week and Startup Weekend. Um, you've also done a lot of organization around Ignite, which is how you and I got to know each other yes. uh, way back when. Um, and then TEDx and things as well. So how does that differ from building a community around a specific product, or does it? It's really odd. I mean, I think the intent of building a community is one of the trickiest subjects we can get into. Um, a lot of times people ask, like, why are you doing it? Right? Like, if you're going to an event, you always wonder why they're throwing the event. Um, that's why a lot of the best events to go to are around music, birthdays, you know, friend, very low intent level um, activities. So, you know, TEDx, Boulder has, I think, the largest in the world. I think there's a couple other cities that are right around the same level. We have the largest and most active Ignite in the world as well. Um, we have the most video views of our videos on for any TEDx in the world. And I think the same goes for Ignite. We're head-in-head -head with Seattle, which is the original one. Very so cool. it's, it's something, and this is a town of 100,000 people. You know, I think that means that you can do it in a lot of places. Community building is something that you can do anywhere. Um, I was just in Brunei, which is you know, very small country near Malaysia, or kind of landlocked into Malaysia, talking about community building. And it was the exact same things that we ran into eight, ten years ago in Boulder of like, what do we want to build? What do we want to do? So Andrew, with the, um, the startup week and the startup weekend stuff, how did you get involved in that um, yourself? Yeah, startup weekend was me kind of saying, asking the question, why am I the only one that introduces people? I felt like I kept on making these intros. I was like, how do you not know each other? You know, I was just like, this is not right. And then I realized that if you're working in a professional environment, the only reason you know other professionals is via networking, which is kind of a weird thing to do. You know, it's kind of a, especially if you're an introvert, it's a very awkward feeling to go out and you know explain what you do to people that you don't know. And then, um, so I just posed that question, and the three people in the room said, "Well, why don't you just do it? You know, create something, fix that problem." And so three weeks later, we had our first startup weekend. Yeah, and uh, you know, I. Even though somewhat casually, I feel like I stay 
quite up to date on your travels and, and all these different startup week and startup weekend rela related things. What um, what are some of the ones that uh, you've just wrapped up? I know you mentioned uh, a little bit about one, and what other ones are coming up here soon? Is there something that you'd like to share with some of our listeners in terms of what they can do to either be a part of that or engage somehow? It's it's an odd founder story in that you know I'd never been out of the U.S. when I started Startup Weekend. Um, <laughs> And you know, my first time I went out of the, you know, went to London was for a startup weekend that I was facilitating, and that was like a lot of my first travels was just going and launching a community. And I say launching a community, I mean I don't think there's a way to launch a community. In all honesty, I think there's communities you can identify and you can have leadership in those communities, but this idea that you can actually launch one or like be the the founder of one, it's like no, Boulder didn't have like we didn't found the Boulder community. Um, we had an event that catalyzed a lot of the best people in town at that time, and then created a really awesome narrative for other people wanting to be involved, um, which I think is a huge difference than a lot of people trying to launch a you know, community around a product, right? which I think is some of the most challenging things, because nine times out of ten, somebody with a product that wants to interact with you is negative. right? They're, they have a support issue, or they're having a problem. It's very odd that you have this, like, think about airlines. Right? Nobody ever contacts an airline on Twitter saying, I just had a great flight. They're all just pissed that boarding is late or that somebody was rude or whatever. So you've got all these community managers that they're just dealing with pissed off people that like, if you're building a community, you would never invite these people to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. So you know, I lucked out with Startup Weekend, and then we created this very positive cycle of people that are just kind of inching into entrepreneurship. We, you know, it's, it's odd in that I can't name all the countries we've been into. Right? We've been into about 160 countries, and I can't, you know, I tried the other day and I got it to about 90 and then I started really starting, you know, making things up or it felt like... It's still pretty there. impressive not to, to be able to just throw 90 countries out there. It's a fun exercise. You should do it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's like when you start something, you, you kind of think that you're building the perfect thing for you. Or at least for me, that's how I, I do it. You know, I, I hated that I was the only connector in town or not connector, but the only person that was making these introductions or, or showing that. And... I built something for me. Some conference organizer over the years came up to me and said, like, why isn't the community supporting my event? It's like, well, it's $2,000 a ticket. That's why nobody's supporting your event. Mm -hmm. Some of your events not quality, so you're just asking too much money. And then I got a lecture on how real conferences cost money and that real people, and I was like, kind of like, screw you, buddy. I'm going to do my own thing right on top of your event. I'm going to make it free. I'm going to make it the perfect event for me. And that's how Startup Week came about. So like both events that really scaled well were just me kind of getting pissed off and solving my own problem. Hmm. Interesting. Very cool. And it turns yeah. out other people around the world have that same <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I'm interested a little bit in hearing about your history with Techstars because I know, I saw a blog post, you've kind of had a roundabout, you know, all things yeah. come full circle um, experience with them. So for those, for those people who aren't familiar with Techstars, how about you start out just yeah. with a little bit about who they are and what they do. Cool. It's Hotel California here. You know, you can never leave. <laughs> um, I was the first employee of Techstars, and I, I want to qualify that by saying it's the first non-founder, um, and then I was the first person that just would not leave when they asked me to leave. Hmm. So I shut down a company, and it was like a, a design shop. We were doing political design, and the next day I kind of depressed, went to the coffee shop, and was reading the paper because... You know, that's something people still did. And uh, I, uh, I saw this article about Techstars opening up in Boulder. 
So I randomly knew one of the founders. Um, I had worked on one of his political campaigns, Congressman Jared Polis, and uh, asked for an intro to David Cohen. David had a meeting, didn't really have anything for me to do, so I kind of suggested, you know, being a videographer. Um, went out and bought a video camera, and then uh, was kind of the unofficial videographer slash hangarouter of the first year of Techstars. After a while, I think they realized legally they had to pay me um, to be okay with everything, but it was just the right time and the right place, and I just really wanted to hang out. And I saw this energy around entrepreneurship, so Techstars is a mentorship-driven C-stage accelerator. That might be the definition of what Techstars was in 2007, and it still just it rings to my heart, or that's what I remember. Um, I think we're in 12 locations around the, the world. We do investments for a short period of time, so three months with 10 companies, a lot of mentors, a lot of community support, and we help entrepreneurs just kind of grow and, and go on their journey. Now, Techstars recently acquired Startup Weekend and Startup Week, which I started. Mm -hmm. So I had left everything at one point and decided to go traveling. Um, enough people that I respected told me to get out of the country and just get a backpack and experience the world in a different way. And so I did, and I went for about three years um, just traveling nonstop. So I owned 15 Things, which was this like hilarious viral post that millions of people read, and a lot of angry people on the internet wanted to discuss my underwear. It was great. <laughs> um, people were debating whether my shoelaces were an item of clothing. Anyway, just lots of stuff. So, wow. um, But through that, you know, whatever I do, it's kind of adds this, like, I'm really trying to learn as much as possible from it, and I'm trying to kind of help as many people as possible. And so when those two things are met, I'm really, really happy. Um, when it's one set or the other, that's part of the natural process. But um, So I traveled for a while and then came back to a startup weekend via Startup Week, which is something else I started. And then um, J.P. Morgan Chase funded us, or funded the program. So um, came back, ran some great programs, and then Techstars brought me back into the ship. So And now Techstars is, I think, 150 employees. So it's a big organization in a lot of countries. You know, and I'd, I'd like to add a little bit more to that, just sort of my own personal experience with Techstars and Startup Week. And um, a lot of it, you know, Techstars seems to me um, at least one of the anchor points in, in Boulder in, in terms of just the tech, the tech world or the startup world in, in general. And certainly a way that a lot of people... Um, learn about others in the area uh, and what other projects and what other teams are being formed and just different interesting interesting things and um, they do a really great job of just bringing the local community together and helping them sort of understand more about what's going on I mean there's um, there's you know the events like what Andrew puts on but then there's also things like tonight I'm going to something that the foundry group is putting on uh, which again is is part of you know, what the person you mentioned, um, uh, David Cohen and, and Brad Feld and a number of others that are all, again, very, very, very um, big pieces of the local tech scene right here in Boulder. And uh, one of the cool things about tech startups, or I'm sorry, tech stars, and then, or maybe even more specifically to, to Startup Week, is that it does a really great job of bringing all these people that are typically very heads down and very focused on what they're doing. It brings all those people that are focused, not realizing that they're focusing on a lot of the similar types of challenges, and brings them all together in a very social way um, to get them to start talking to get talking with one another and realizing, hey, we're trying to solve for the same stuff. Maybe we should like huddle up and, and have some conversations. Um, so that's what's really cool or what was really great for me about Startup Week. I made some really great friends who are now probably lifelong friends um, just from doing like the startup pub crawl 
and yeah. going to different uh, game like events and just different fun stuff that takes place throughout Startup Week. So it's really, really cool. One of our core values is to instill outstanding ethics. So I think a lot of communities want to have this like competition, especially startups. Like, how much did you get acquired for? Or how much money did you raise? Or how whatever. And in Boulder, you know, partially because of the culture in Boulder and Colorado, it's just this very much give first, let's help each other out because somebody helped us out to get to where we're at. So we're all in that, you know, let's just help each other out mode, which is really healthy for startup communities. Now, not all communities are like that, especially if the communities are coming from kind of a hedge fund banker. That's where they're getting all their talent. They're super competitive and cruel towards each other. So when we come to town with Startup Week, and we're like, no, 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 everybody's going to get along. This is how it's going to work. People will, will jump on that bandwagon pretty quick, but it takes somebody to be like, no. You know, it takes Brad Feld and David Cohen and be like, we're going to share all our information. You know, you can go to techstars.com slash stats, I think, and see the record of every single company we've ever invested in, which is, yeah. you know, radical transparency that we think that the community deserves. We can't just talk about our big, big, big wins. We need to have to talk about everything. And that's a huge part of pulling people together, right? Is yeah. you can't be at, you can't be fighting each other on our product is the best and we got more funding than you and everything. You know, it has people have to work together. And I think that's what a lot of people in our types of roles and our types of backgrounds tend to do is bring people together and say, No, like we're solving the same issues, we're asking the same questions, let's figure this stuff out together. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's interesting that, uh, Andrew, you had used the word um, connector, because that was one way that it was, <clears throat> uh, as far as this role that I'm in, the evangelist uh, role, that was one way it was described to me. Uh, actually, it was uh, I was chatting with Miha Baldwin uh, about this type of stuff, because he, he has, in the past, done similar types of roles, and um, he said, you really just you need to focus on being a, being a connector, being a resource, resource point. If you don't know the answers, you probably know someone who does, and let's be really transparent, let's share everything we know and make connections wherever we can because that's really going to help everybody in the long run. Yep. I think the lean startup kind of revolutionized how you know, startups work you know, with this customer validation, rapid prototyping. I think there is a level, and I think a lot of people have talked about kind of a lean community model, and that's you know, it's, it's something that you don't realize. Like, every time we do Startup Week in any city, like in Boulder, I'll meet 10 companies I didn't know existed in a small town, mm -hmm. right? So when we do a bigger town, you know, we have this, like, fighting over who runs it. And then you're just like, wait, you, you have no idea who the community is. And they're like, no, no, I know. And it's like, you, you know. You know, like, it's rapidly changing month to month, day to day. And that's a good challenge to have, but also, like, oh, man, that's a tough problem. How do people, or how should people go about solving that problem or figuring out who the community is when it is so rapidly changing? I think you should build events you want to go to, and I think you should not really care if people show up. I think you should do the homework and have a style enough that you want to lead a community, and if that speaks to a large group of people, that's awesome. And if it doesn't, that's still great. You're building something that you think is that level that you would expect to be a part of that community. Cool. Well, um, I guess maybe the follow-up question to that would be, you know, if, if today I decided I wanted to put on some sort of an event, um, how am I going to pay for it? I mean, I know I can't, I can't be able to 
uh, fund, you know, at least a larger event. And so therefore I've got to reach out to other members of our community. And of course, you know, we are for the most part always looking to help each other. But if there's financial investment, if there's resources, they're going to be looking for some something in return. So how do we how do we manage that, making sure that if there's other external companies or brands that want to be involved, that they're getting something for for their effort. Yeah, build your events not for sponsors. That's kind <laughs> of my my thing. You know, sponsorship is a last effort. Yeah. It should never be a part of why you throw an event and it should never be a make or break of an event. Um, no, I'm very prickly. I'm very like ethically driven around this. I you know, what makes a good sponsor, they cut a check. What makes a bad sponsor? They want anything else. You know, like that's just a, it's a bad joke, and that's not something that really, you know, is a mantra of any sort. But it's just kind of like you're really building your event for the community member that shows up, and most importantly, the newest member to your community. Right? How you treat the newest member to your community is the absolute lifeblood of your community. If I just join, how do I feel? Am I welcome to my whatever? Now, if you look at a lot of online communities, like look at Reddit. Almost every popular subreddit there has this big, all caps, read the FAQ, do not post until you've read the FAQ. You know, it's like, wait, that's your newest member. That's how you treat a person that has a simple question. Like, they're really looking for that, you know, that simple answer. And yet, because you've had this, um, Reddit has a term, or they used to have a term called Forever September. Have you heard of that? Mm -mm. I'm not familiar with that, no. So every September, especially when internet access was really fast at colleges and kind of slow at home, every September they'd have this like massive influx of new members. And so every September their culture was challenged. Like what makes Reddit Reddit? And every September the new people kind of trumped the old people. The old people got really pissed off at all these new students. And so, you know, every September there was this wave of like culture clash. And they had to plan for that. So every day you know, in a community, you've got this new wave of members or this new person that shows up. And the community leader is probably the person that's, you know, that's the least helpful slash least willing to help that person because they've been asked that same damn question every single day. Um, like, if I have to answer what time Ignite starts again, like, I'm going to get that tattooed on me. You know, doors at six, show at seven, <laughs> right? Because for the last eight years, I've answered that question probably 40 times an event. You know, so it's like I when somebody asks me that question, I'm super prickly about it. It's not that I don't care that you're coming to my event and don't know. It's just I've answered so many times. There's that forever September that energy suck. So how do you build a community where the people that are leading are not the people that are tired of of the usual questions? And I think that's why most communities die. In all honesty. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. That's kind of related to, and I know Mary, you've got some other questions here, but just that got me thinking that that's kind of related to some very important discussions that we've had at other events, uh, certainly the Community Leadership Summit that Mary and I attended uh, this summer. This comes up at all of the DevOps events that I go to, and it's just simply the idea of burnout. When you get to the point where even though this is something you love doing, it has drained everything you have and starts to impact you uh, physically, impacts relationships. I mean, it just starts to infiltrate other areas of your day-to-day. Um, totally. Yeah, and so I mean, I, maybe just for real quick, if you've got any comments on how, you know, you're really busy, you do a lot of uh, travel, a lot of engagement with people. How do you turn off? What do you do to to sort of avoid that burnout situation? Yeah, I think working with really great teams that you trust is one thing. 
So our night probably has the least amount of hours of any night in the world worked. Right? We have five or six people that throw an event that a thousand people come to. And those five or six people work maybe ten hours on it. Hmm. Right? It's like how do you be as efficient as possible and how do you trust people? So let's, let's find somebody that's really great, love what they do, trust with what they do, and let them go do what they do. Um, a lot of times you'll see these, you know, I saw an org chart for a TEDx. I'm not going to pick out pick on the TEDx, but they had over 200 people on an org chart. Wow. You know, for an event with 1,000 people that showed up, but they had, you know, the volunteer organizer had 10 people under them who had subcommittees, um, you know, and it just was just so much overkill. Now, I would never personally want to be on that committee, so why would I lead that committee? So for me, you know, with our TEDx, we've got two co-organizers and five other people that work on it. We have a 2,200 person with almost $100,000 budget, and it's just kind of, it's play. It's fun. You know, we keep it at that. Now, we know exactly what we do, right? We head exactly due north, and if you want us to go, a, you know, a couple degrees off that, we, we don't make a system that that's possible. Hmm. So you come on, oh, we have this great idea. Like, awesome, you should start your own. Right? This is our ship. We're, we're going this direction really fast. Um, and we love the energy and such, but we actually don't have that public comment period. Um, right, so you have explicit boundaries, and you know exactly what you need to do, and so you're able to be efficient with your time and make the best use of it. Yeah. And at first, as a conference organizer, I'd have like a feedback form and an NPS score or whatever the NPS score was eight years ago. Um, I don't know if you guys use Net Promoter Score at all, but... I don't know if that's a community-known abbreviation, but... And now, I don't even really ask for it. It's this very odd thing. I used to, like, have this prideful, like, loop of, of feedback, and then I realized I would just get pissed off reading it. You know, somebody was, you know, somebody couldn't park in time, and then it was late. We started on time, and they thought that was... It was like, I don't care about you. I really don't. If you're in there, I can feel if you're happy or not. I can feel if I had a good time at my event or not. Do I want to listen to this feedback, especially for an open community event? I, I just kind of delete it now, which is odd. You know, it's setting that boundary. Yeah, I mean, so given that sort of approach, how do you measure and then measure for for you know any kind of feedback to then learn and improve upon? What's your what's your sort of ideas on that? Yeah, I think it's the people that that run it know the event so much better. Hmm. Like for you know speaking events, I always find it funny when people are like, "You need to pick better speakers." And I'm just like, wait, 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 wait. So uh, according to the feedback, the best speakers are the people. The people that look like each other like each other. Mm-hmm. So we have this like upper middle class female on stage. She's really highly rated by the upper middle class females in the audience. And same for, you know, the, the scruffy white dude. I mean, like, all these little stereotypes kind of like each other or support each other in a really strict way. And so when somebody's like, you need better speakers, it's like, well, you rated two of our best, better speakers, but you also didn't rate the top two speakers, right? According to the group, you did, you liked what the other group did. And so it's like, is there such thing as a great speaker, or is it somebody that just speaks to somebody, right? Everybody in the room is going to have a different favorite talk for some other reason. Um, and so in that way, you know, like, that's one of those things where I think everybody is, deserves an equal shot, and it's not the most charismatic people that have something to say. It's the people that have something to say and have a message. So for me, you know, you, you kind of realize that data is data, and you need to figure out exactly what you want to learn when you ask a question. And with community events, I find what I learn is from the, com- the committee that put it on that actually did the event. 
especially, and I should state that this is from a volunteer committee type of environment. Hmm. If this was in a company, I think it'd be a lot different. But I think our customer or my customer is mainly the volunteer organizers. So how would someone who's taking, you know, listening to that advice and taking that advice about events translate that back to, you know, if I work for a company and we're going to hear feedback that we don't like and we're going to hear things that aren't, you know, feedback that's not helpful and advice that just we can't do anything with it. How do you respond to those types of people in that type of environment where that's actually the job that you are paid to do? Yeah, totally. That's a tough one. And I think that a lot of the best community leaders are the ones that are able to make friends with their critics. So acknowledge that, you know, hey, yeah, I see that too. You know, like you can't say, our, you know, our app sucks or our site sucks or whatever. Like, yeah, we've heard this a couple times. We're in talks to fix it. It might take us a bit because this is, you know, a slow process, but, like, here we go. And that usually, you know, turns, you know, there's books written about this, right? Uh, many, 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 many books. It's not something traditionally that I'm great at um, because I just have this, like, I'm going to build what I want to build. It's worked out in the past, and that's the worst thing you can give a community organizer to track record, right? <laughs> So, Follow my advice because it's worked for me. Exactly. Which, which is good sometimes, absolutely, but doesn't think, apply in all circumstances. Yeah, I think you have to, if, you, if that's going to be your case, I think you have to have a really strong ethical background and you have to have a strong love of the underdog. I don't think that works if you're just kind of like chasing fame or you just want to serve this like famous market. I just That doesn't work. But... So, you know, this, this kind of leads into some other stuff that uh, Mary and I have discussed uh, quite a bit, especially more recently, um, is the, the varying roles of community. You know, I'm an evangelist. There's, there's advocates out there. There's just community managers. Um, and it seems as though there is no standardized um, sort of reporting setup. You know, like I report to our product team. I'm, I'm part of our product team, whereas others have uh, reported to their marketing team. And because of that, there are different, um, you know, there's different metrics, there's different goals, there's different agendas um, to a certain degree. I mean, we all still have this, this true north of just building community and getting people energized around something, whether it's an event or a product or conversations, but... Um, you know, what, what's your thoughts on that in terms of is there a right way? Should it be one or the other? Or is it maybe that their community managers or director of community, they actually, they, they owe, they should have a, sit, a seat at the table as well, just, just like any other director. Right. Should the CEO be the director of community? Possibly. That's another odd thing to think about. Should this, you know, community person. I remember I put as my bio on LinkedIn in 2007 at Techstars, community director. And I, I looked for other community directors out there, and there was one, you know, like, and now that's like a huge job and a huge right, role. But it's, this it's a thought, hot topic. Very hot. Um, and it's, you know, are you the airline's model? So you're just diffusing situations that are negative that'll get out of hand if you don't. Is it building the product and actually integrating feedback into future iterations? Or is it just picking somebody with style that knows the market that's going to make the right decision and right calls in the future? My personal thought on that is it's probably the third one where it's you're going to pick some new style that's going to be that already kind of knows your community. Um, I'm extremely 
odd to go to an event with, right? Because if I go to an event, I am looking at, you know, how am I, how am I welcomed? How do they market tickets? How do they sell tickets? What's that process like? How's seating? What's the acoustics? What's I'm looking at every single detail because I put on that event so many times. And so, you know, like I won't go to the movies anymore because I think the user experience of a movie is just so atrocious. I'm going to pay fifteen dollars. You're going to show me ads, lie about the start time, and put me in a you know situation where it's uncomfortable, too cold, right? Um, you know, like you have to like if you're going to be a director of community, that means or a director or play a role in community, that means you got to know what that that style is that you like. You got to know what nice tastes like, right? To work at a, a fancy restaurant, you have to know what it, know what the food is. You have to know what how your food ranks in the, how you experience that food. So you know you've got all these people doing community, kind of like five years ago we had all these people doing social media evangelists. You know, is, is it just evolved into that? I'm not sure. Um, so I mean, we touched on the fact that like it's this super hot topic, and you go searching for community jobs, and there's I don't even know how many are available these days. But trying to figure out again, you know, what they're actually hiring for. It's completely different things. Um, do you actually think that that communities and projects are hiring community managers and creating communities just because they feel like they should, or is that actually something they should be doing? So when I look at a startup and I'm kind of meeting with a friend startup, I kind of have this like tick model, and I, I need a much better term for this. But whenever I look around the room and you do something, you kind of just say tick, right? Like so, I wrote a line of code, or I sent out a tweet, I sent an email to a customer, I did whatever. It's kind of a tick. And so if you've got a well-oiled startup machine, you know, with 10 people, you just kind of see text go everywhere. Sure. When you're, you're in that building cycle, that's really slow, right? When you're pre-launched, that's really slow. When you launch and kind of have that interaction with the community, you have this, like, just absolute crescendo of activity going on. I think it's really easy to place an employee there to kind of deal with that and that level of interaction. Um, I think that the best thing a community manager or the community leader can add is thousands of users. And if we were to think of it in marketing, we would throw budgets behind that that would fit thousands of users. But because community is kind of this, um, I don't want to say social media evangelist 2.0, but I think a lot of people view it as like the like, oh, I know, let's get my intern's friend or my you know my yeah. nephew's really good. So I think that. There's actually science to it. I think that the best community managers get those thousands and thousands of users, passionate users, um, and I think that that community. But I think the best people at community are the people leading companies. So, how do you, you know, how do you hire for something that should be a founder's role? Well, you bring up a good point because, you know, we talk about community in terms of the external um, aspect of it. We're trying to build. Um, you know, people who just love our product or love, you know, our our events or whatever the case is. But there's also uh, the internal community, and and we sort of maybe just often describe that as culture. Um, and a lot of a lot of cases, you know, definitely not as much in the startup world and, and the tech industry. Um, but there's a lot of companies who still just don't pay much attention to that culture and and what that internal community is is beginning to look like. They hire strictly off of a off of a resume. Or off of you know somebody saying, hey, I know this guy and he's really good at X, and so they just you know they're hired without really even trying to stop and think about is this person going to be a fit with with our internal community, um, and so 
I think you, you, you illustrated a pretty good point that it kind of, you know, the buck stops, I guess, with the CEO to make sure that that community that he's envisioned in his mind is actually starting to uh, come together the way that, that they, way that they want to see it happen. And you never know, right? And that's that's the oddest thing about community is that if you have a thousand active users within your community, you probably have ten thousand silent voices that are viewing it. Oh, that's very true. Um, so switching gears a little bit um, and starting to wrap up, just some some advice for other people um, as far as travel goes. You are on the road. Yeah far more often than anyone else I know. <laughs> um, how do you manage that? Balancing, you know, your community at home with life on the road, um, travel, travel or conference high, um, and work-life balance, all of those things. How do you, how do you juggle all of that? Yeah, so I, I, I don't say yes to every trip, but it's pretty rare that I say no. Um, I just got back, I think, last week from an eight-country trip um, in Southeast Asia, and it was, it was just, like, this is, this is the way I do it. So somebody had a budget for me to come out to, um, uh, to uh, Manila in the Philippines. And so I was like, okay, great. You know, do I need to just book a round trip? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, cool. If I find a better flight via a stop, can I take that stop? And they're like, oh, yeah, no problem. I'm like, cool. So then I add on, you know, and I basically did the eight-country trip for less than the round trip. Wow. Because I've... I've shopped for so many flights, and because I've taken so many flights and, mm -hmm. and just researched, I'm terrible at that. I think I've got a couple of posts about how to fly in like transatlantic airfare for under $400. And so, and I, I, one of the airlines called me and said, if everybody did this, we'd be out of business. So I'm that type of passenger. <laughs> Teach us I, your ways. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> so my favorite thing because I was scared of travel until I you know, started Startup Weekend, is go kayak. Kayak has this, um, if you go to kayak.com slash explore, type in your home city, and then type non-stop only. And then, you know, you'll see kind of some sample round trip airfares. So it's like, okay, cool, I can get to Hong Kong from Denver for $900 round trip. So that means one way, that's $450. let us just pretend you can, there's no issues with that. And so, okay, I'm in Hong Kong for 450 then go to kayak.com slash explore, place Hong Kong as your home city, and then say, non-stops, where can I go? And then, like, build some itineraries. And it travels a lot cheaper than you think, especially if you've got lodging taken care of. Um, so I travel probably half the year, probably more than half the year, but I only want to say half the year. Um, and, you know, I just, I, it's, it's kind of, I, I reach, and I'm super fortunate, unbelievably, absolutely super fortunate. Um, to be able to do that. Um, but at a certain point, you just kind of say, like, you know, say yes to adventure. You know, say yes to this crazy idea. Don't fire yourself. If that's if there's the best lesson I've learned over the last 10 years is don't fire yourself. So many freelancers that I know, so many friends that I know will have this opportunity come up. Be like, hey, I don't really have a budget, but like, we've got this concept. Right? And it's like, well, let's do it. And they're like, wait, but I, we didn't talk about money yet. It's like, well, you know, I like working with you. And let's let's launch it. And in, in, in ten hours of work, we'll know if we like each other or not, and we'll know if we're able to launch something and have a budget or not. So let's just go for it. Hmm. And so people are like, well, I'm I'm you know eighty dollars an hour. So and then they go they cross their arms. They don't hire you or they don't work on the project with you. And then you don't have a friend. You don't have an opportunity. So you know I'm I'm I just say yes to a lot of things. And that's not saying I don't have my boundaries. I definitely have my boundaries. But you know that's how you start working on stuff and that's how you travel. 
when somebody says they need help on a project and it's a barn raising, get on a flight and help them out. Yeah, I think that's actually pretty, uh, well, it's great advice, and I think that's very common with the people that end up being in community roles is that we are um, historically yes people. Um, we love trying new things. We love seeing new places, meeting people, experiencing. I think I dropped out for there a second, but and You're back. and um, you know that kind of stuff is, I believe, important as just like what makes a person maybe a good fit for a community role. Um, so, what other types of things do you look for? And you know, we're, this we're kind of wrapping up here a little bit. We're getting short on time, but what what are some actionable items and some things that you think people should do that maybe someone like you is looking for in a person? And then sort of follow that up, too, if you've got any resources that you want to share um, with our listeners. Sure. Um, launch things. Like, take projects and take them to public. That sounds so simple, right? Um, I looked at the hosting account that I had Startup Weekend on, and I had 88 other sites that I had launched. <laughs> and they were political websites and, you know, freelance websites and stuff. But I had 80 experiences in launching something before something actually took fire. So launch something. Right, that's the biggest thing. If if you've not worked on something, and the other thing is, is like find friends that need help, and help them. That sounds ultra, you know, it's simple. If you're so good that somebody's gonna hire you, you should be able to help a friend out and make them a lot of money. So I had a friend, you know, Dude Ranch. I don't know if you've helped, um, help, heard me talk about Black Mountain Ranch before, mm -hmm. but I have a friend. They decided to give it a fat final year. They called up some friends. We need help, right? So. I redid their marketing, their design, their, their lead gen, all their SEO. You know, I just had fun with it. I went and lived up there, played cowboy for a summer, and their year-to-year -year sales went up a lot, um, an absolute crazy amount, to where I'll probably never have to have a resume again because I can just point to that project and be like, look, here's, here's the numbers for this. Mm -hmm. And so if, if you are a community person or whatever you do, and you haven't helped somebody and helped them to be profitable or help them be better in a measurable way, like you're not trying. You're not, you don't have that hustle that I'm looking for if I'm hiring that. Um, and that doesn't have to be a huge thing. That could be like I just hired somebody for Startup Week and she had done a ton of work for the Humane Society where she worked. And it was unpaid stuff and I think a lot of community people and a lot of freelancers get walked over or they'll, they'll find these kind of like really negative people or like kind of bad CEOs that are very predatory. Um, that will hire designers and then not pay them or something like that. Um, and if you find those negative people and you want to stay away from them, but then you also like work for friends. Don't respond to Craigslist ads for that. Find you know that family member or that that social person and launch something with them. Yeah, I think that's good good advice. I mean, a self starter is always going to make a, a good well just leader in general. Somebody who's who doesn't need to be uh, directed all the time on what you know what has to happen. They've got a pretty good idea about which direction they're going and also how to pull it off or at least how to pull together the resources to pull it off. Um, and I had another thought but it's, it fleeted away. But um, anyway, it's, what's... It's, it's hard to do that and not be curious as well. That's something you always want to be is curious. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Yep. Oh, I know what I was going to say. So much of it is that we are traveling and that we are sort of on our own that you know, there, there are people who we talk about, you know, working from home or working remotely in coffee shops. and like, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you stay focused and get anything done if you're not in an office. And, um, I, you know, it certainly is, is something that doesn't come natural to a lot of people. But I actually get more work done at home or in a coffee shop than I ever do in an office area. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, having that sort of, I don't even think it's a skill. I think it's just, it's a, it's something you're willing to, to sort of understand um, that this is what you need to be able to do. You need to be able to stay focused and, and get stuff done under any circumstances. Well, and I think it's something that's, that's, inherent to those of us who get involved in community, right? We we love community and we get involved in community because we already love community and we're we're willing to work with people and we're interested in people and we want to tell their stories and have those conversations. And so I think a lot of the qualities for good community managers and good good community developers come from doing that personally as well as professionally. Um, and there's a lot of a lot of What's the word I'm looking for? Bleed over, layover, something. <laughs> it, it applies in the same ways. Um, and I think, like you said, you know, looking for people who have done that kind of stuff in their free time shows you that that's, that's the type of person that they are. Okay. Another thing to think about is that if you think about startups, there's, there's all the leagues. You know, there's high school ball, there's college ball, and there's pro ball. And it would be totally disingenuous for me to take a new player and throw them out with the Denver Broncos, right? Not only would they look like a fool, they would be hurt. Um, yeah. With community, you gotta you gotta play around, right? And the people that are best of the community are the people that are just always playing. They're always at the gym. And so, you know, find something that you love, and if you do love community, play around with it and see what works and what doesn't work. And I think what's working right now will fundamentally not work in six months. It is right, but we'll have found we'll have found the next thing that does work because we're curious enough about it that we don't stop looking. Hopefully, That's or maybe we have the attention span of a flea and we just keep talking <laughs> from different things um, until until we just can't take it and we pass out from exhaustion. Absolutely. All right. So, are there any uh, books or blog posts or things that have got you excited lately um, about community or motivation or things like that in general? I think I'll always say Kathy Sierra. <laughs> She's fantastic. Um, she just gave a talk at XOXO, which is just absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, she wrote a blog until 2008, 2009 called Creating Passionate Users, which I still think is amazing. Um, I, I go back a lot, references, blog posts. Um, I'm trying to think. You know, there's, there's a lot out there that I don't agree with, right? And there's a lot out there that I do agree with. Um, and I love when you, we see each other at conferences. There's, there's these community folks you see each other. Like I respect what you do. I don't have to catch up with you. I've seen what you've you've launched, and like let's just hang out. Um, I love those interactions so much. And you got these people from odd aspects. You know, Alex Hellman of Indie Hall. You know, one of the co-working, you know, leaders of the co-working movement. Most co-working spaces fail. Like I think I've been to the most co-working spaces of anybody in the world. And most of them that I've been at are out of business because you know they, they thought they were signing up for leading a community and really they were just a fancy janitor. You know, it's it's tough. But Alex is, you know, he knows what it is beyond the groundwork. Right, right. Cool. We'll, we'll add those uh, that stuff to our show notes. There's so many people. Yeah, I should really just write a blog post. Yeah, well, I was going to tell you, you know, it. We kind of put you on the spot, so if whatever you can think of after this, uh, we'll make sure yeah. we get it into the the show notes and and uh, add some more content from you know from your ideas there as well. And I think you just have to launch stuff. I mean, Jason, the first time we worked together was four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. Mary, seven or eight years ago. Crazy to think of that, but yeah, I think so. 
So and like for, you know, so if you're gonna work in community, just work on stuff and reach out and be supportive as possible. Um, I hate this trend of community of like I'm emailing you, I don't receive a response, I'm gonna email you again, I don't receive a response, I don't you know, how do I add value? You know, it's, it feels like the inbox is this like kind of battleground for attention and for people helping each other out. Somehow fight through that and, and like launch stuff with great people and just work and support other people for no other reason, just to support them. Um, it still is that game right now. We'll see if that changes, and I hope it doesn't. But it still has that feel of we're in this together, and, and hopefully we can all rise each other. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us today, Andrew. I really appreciate it. Okay. Yeah, and thanks for uh, being part of our show. Here we're still in the early phases, but uh, Mary and I are pretty excited about uh, the potential of this and bringing in great guests like yourself. Awesome. Congrats on launching. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I know some. So it feels like we're probably always crossing paths in the air, but um, one of these days we'll have to stop and actually have a drink or get coffee or something when we're both yep. older at the same time. That'd be awesome. All right. Well, um, I guess with that said, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up. Thanks again, everyone, um, for tuning into the Community Pulse. Uh, I am Jason Hand, and I'm at Jason Hand on Twitter. And I'm Mary Thingwell at Mary underscore Grace on Twitter. And tune in next time for another episode of Community Pulse. Thanks.